Welcome back to Conservative Conversations. I'm your host, Reed. And I'm Frank. Today we're going to be talking about millionaires and billionaires and a positive trend in births following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So let's get started. Before we get started, listeners, I want to remind you to please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find our audios on YouTube. We would certainly appreciate that. And we hope you had a great Thanksgiving over the holiday. And we certainly thank you for continuing to listen and support our show. And to get started, I'm actually going to talk about a little uh, fun story related to Thanksgiving. Every year, there is the pardoning of the turkeys. You may have seen that Joe Biden pardoned Liberty and Bell, which were our turkeys for this year. And um, we, on our other show that we do, our comedy show, the Wiki Wacky Radio Show, we kind of talked about the uh, pardoning of the turkeys a little bit. Yes, we did. Yep. And it just so happens after we recorded that, I listened to an interview on the Fox News Rundown. Did an interview with Joel Brandenberger, who is the CEO and president of the National Turkey Federation, which is a trade association for the turkey industry. And he was talking to the host about the little bit about the pardon and the history and the tradition of that. And there's a few fun little interesting things in there I thought we'd share, or I'd share rather. The National Turkey Federation has actually been presenting, presenting, presenting the turkeys to be pardoned since about 1947, which if you listen to our Wiki Wacky Radio Show episode, I had actually mentioned that I had believed that Ronald Reagan was the first president to mention pardoning the president. President, shoot. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Pardoning the turkeys. While George H.W. Bush was the first president to actually have the ceremony. Well, the pardoning of turkeys has actually been going on since Abe Lincoln. This fellow, Joel Brandenburger, says that uh, President Lincoln's son suggested that they pardon a turkey for Christmas during that same year that Abe Lincoln declared Thanksgiving a national holiday. 1863. That's right. Uh, So I thought that was pretty neat um, to learn about, that they've actually been doing an unofficial pardoning for quite some time. Um, And a little bit about what the turkeys go through. It's usually a flock of about 30 turkeys are raised pretty much in the same way your commercial turkeys would be raised, that, that would be eaten, except these turkeys are socialized to be fit you know, to go to the rose garden. And then ultimately, uh, the best two turkeys out of the group, you know, the ones that are the most well socialized and perform the best, doing the little trots and whatnot, uh, get selected to go be pardoned. And then, I assume all the other turkeys eventually just go 
to your dinner table. Because like it, like this fellow mentioned, they're raised in the same ways. They get all the same treatments and everything, except for the social socialization part. And in our other show, we also sort of talked about what happens to the turkeys after they're pardoned. And I had mentioned that in 2005 and 2009, the turkeys went to Disney. Well, it wasn't just those two years. It was from 2005 up to the 2000, I believe, eight Thanksgiving season. Uh, the turkeys went to Disneyland, while the 2009 Thanksgiving they went to Disney World. So it was for a couple of years in a row that they've done it. And then, after that, they went to. Oh, where is it here? Yeah, in the 2010 Thanksgiving, they went to Mount Vernon. You know George Washington's Mount Vernon? Yeah. Yeah. They went there for a few years, which I thought that was pretty cool. That's uh, The turkeys got to live where George Washington used to visit a lot. Um, I'm curious about who names the turkeys. Like this year, they were Liberty and Bell. I am too. I, they that did not come up in the interview. Interestingly enough, I'm. If I had to guess, it's probably like one of those. Maybe kids submit some names, and then somebody picks. Cause I imagine something. Well, because like I'm also curious, like at what point they're named. Oh, like, yeah. Were they Liberty and Bell their entire lives, or were they like? Okay, these are going to be the turkeys that right. I presented to the president, so let's name them. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I have to look that up. That's curious. Because I wonder, you say there's like 30 that could be chosen from. Yeah, uh-huh. And I wonder if they're all just like these weird constitutional, Yeah, they always have an American theme. throwback mm-hmm. names. It's yeah. like you could have your choice from Congress, uh, <laughs> you know, and just... <laughs> Constitution. Uh, yeah, Constitution. All these random... Uh-huh. <clears throat> the articles. Uh, <laughs> Senator. <laughs> yes, Confederation. Uh. <laughs> We're going to pardon Senator and Congresswoman, man, <laughs> this year. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they didn't talk about where they get their names. That uh, should have been it. Instead of talking about the history... Other, I mean, other than history, they talked about. Because I feel like if I were the president and I had 30 to choose from, I probably would pick the coolest names. Yeah. But I doubt it works that way. I bet they're named after their... I'd figure so. I don't think they're trying to come up with a whole list of 30 names. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt that. But lately, the turkeys have been going to the... Now, this is kind of a mouthful. The land-grant college of the home state of the current chairman of the National Turkey Federation. Wow. Right. So usually, like, North Carolina State was recently one of the hosts because the chairman for that year uh, lives in North Carolina, was from there. I believe this year they're going to Wisconsin, somewhere up there, one of those states maybe, the other one. Minnesota. Minnesota. So I thought that was pretty neat. And that's pretty much all I had on the the turkeys. They also talked about how the turkeys stay at the 
some fancy hotel there in D.C. They actually stay in a suite. And there's pictures you can find of the turkeys in their hotel room. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. A little bit of a silly tradition, but it's kind of fun in my opinion. I kind of like it. Well, I think it's really neat that it goes all the way back to Abe. Yeah. Since he made Thanksgiving a national holiday. So I think it's kind of cool that it ties in and goes back that far to his son or whatever you had just said. Yeah, it's uh, quite, quite an interesting tradition. And that's all I got on the pardon turkeys. Okie doke. Well, then to get into the news, I have an interesting story here that I came across. And I want to see if you remember. Do you remember a little company called Solyndra? Oh, yeah. That's uh, the Obama days. Yeah, Obama. And uh, like a solar panel company? Yeah, it was a solar panel company. Well, there's a company that just went belly up, and they're sort of comparing it to Solyndra. Mm -hmm. This company was called Proterra, and it was an electric bus and battery company. And uh, Joe Biden had touted it as a success to his green initiative. Green I think energy. I might have heard a little bit about it, but I don't know too many details. Well, it filed for bankruptcy back in August, but like last week sometime, it finally sold its battery business mm-hmm. at a rock bottom price uh, as part of the bankruptcy proceedings. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what's really interesting is that According to the Wall Street Journal, Proterra only sold 550 electric transit buses since its founding in 2004. So from wow. 2000, yeah, from 2004 till almost 2024, so almost over 20 years, they only sold 550 buses. That's outrageous. That is. And that, most... <laughs> that's, that's almost like literally a failure of a company. I mean... Unless they would have to be outrageously priced to be profitable if you're only selling tens per year. Well, this gets good. So just buckle up, okay? Because just with this next line alone, most of the sales were underwritten by government agencies with federal grants. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Proterra's electric buses were plagued with mechanical defects, you know, just like all the EVs. We've seen a lot of these have issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Mechanical defects and performance issues such as limited range and long charging times. Mm -hmm. So besides the government subsidies, the company only survived as long as it had due to its powerful political connections. If you remember Jennifer Granholm... She's energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, She's the former energy. Michigan governor, and she is Biden's energy secretary. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I thought I recognized her. Well, she served on the board for Proterra. Hmm. Uh huh. Yep. Interesting. Yep. <clears throat> Despite all the quality issues, Proterra went public in January of 2021 and raised 
listen to this figure. $650 million. Holy cow. More than three times its annual revenue. Hmm. A month after the company's IPO, Biden took on Granholm as his energy secretary. Wow. Proterra's political connection to to the Biden administration paid off in many ways. In April 2021, Biden took a virtual tour of the Proterra facility to promote his infrastructure plan. Mm -hmm. And we've certainly heard about how much the vice president loves school buses, electric school buses. She just loves them. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. The proposal included a $6.5 billion, excuse me, included $6.5 billion in grants to help replace diesel-powered school and transit buses with electric ones. During the tour, Biden lauded Proterra for getting us in the game. He predicted that Proterra and other electric vehicle companies would end up owning the future. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, if you remember the Inflation Reduction Act. Which did not do that. No. It further enriched Proterra's coffer. The law had little to do with reducing inflation, as mm-hmm. we know and we've talked about. on, yep. on Basically the, what I was saying. That. <laughs> uh-huh. But it gave massive government handouts to the green energy sector. Mm-hmm. For instance, the... Inflation Reduction Act includes a $40,000 per vehicle tax credit for purchasing electrical commercial vehicles and an additional tax credit for EV batteries. Proterra admitted in its quarterly report, it admitted right in the report, that the availability of new unprecedented level of government funding for our customers, suppliers, and competitors to help fund purchases for commercial electric vehicles and battery systems will remain an important factor in our company's growth prospects. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine a company even putting that right in their you know, status report? If it yeah. weren't for the government bailing us out, we wouldn't be open. <laughs> yeah, basically is what that's sort of saying. Uh-huh. In a way. But get this, it gets even better. Biden also appointed Garth Joyce, who was CEO of Proterra, to serve on his, the president's, export council in February of this year. Hmm. So February's what, like two months? No, February and August. How far off is that? Six months. Six months? Mm Mm-hmm. That's six months before the company files for bankruptcy. He took their, he poached their CEO to sit on his board of, wow. uh huh. So this company's bankrupt now. Mm-hmm. He's got Jennifer Granholm, who used to be their chair, or on their board of some kind. Yeah, who used to be on their board, and then he's got their CEO, their ex CEO mm-hmm. now working right. for him, and this company's belly up. Sounds like a pretty sweet gig getting out of that responsibility of that company. Well, I think it's interesting. They quote Warren Buffett in here, and he famously said, even though I've never heard this before, but he famously said that only when the tide goes out can you learn who's been swimming naked. (laughs) And I love this because it says Proterra was one of those companies that was caught 
swimming naked <laughs> in this new environment. Right. I can't says, say I've heard that quote from him before. Not saying it's not his, it's just a new one to me. Uh-huh. Well, they say the company struggled because it had difficulty passing rising costs onto its existing customers, since most were government agencies with little budget flexibility. Nor could Proterra outsource production overseas or import components at lower costs. Receiving government grants comes with strings attached. One requirement is that companies like Proterra must produce at least 70% of their EV components in America. Mm-hmm. Proterra couldn't afford to cut the prices of its EVs to drum up sales. Of course not. Finally, Proterra filed for bankruptcy in August. Government subsidies could not offset the financial pressure of rising inflation, higher interest rates, and falling sales. Last week, a Swedish automobile manuf- manufacturer, Volvo, bought Proterra's battery business for, get this, you remember some of the figures that I've said so far? The one I remember, the IPO was like $600 million. Something they raised at the IPO, yes, six hundred and fifty million dollars. Okay, yeah. Okay, in twenty April twenty twenty one, Biden opened up six point five billion dollars worth of grants mm-hmm. for companies like Proterra. Right. I'm not saying that the whole six point five went right. to Proterra, but they had all these billions of dollars in grants available to them. <clears throat> Well, guess what they sold the company for, keeping that in mind, to Volvo? $20 million. You're kind of close, a little bit higher, $210 million. Oh, still a lot less than $650 million. Yeah, but it's just interesting because the company was valued at $1.6 billion a year before. Oh, wow. So from $1.6 billion to $210 million. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think there's anybody that saw the writing on the wall that knew that this was coming down the pike? Probably, yeah. Yeah. You want to know who? Joe Biden? Probably. (laughs) But definitely Granholm. Oh, yeah. Our energy secretary. Yeah. She sold her Proterra shares for $1.6 million. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Just in the nick of time. She did that. Last year, a year before, Uh they would have been, this article says, they would have been worth nothing if she had held on to her Proterra shares until August. Wow. Yeah. So the biggest loser in the whole Proterra saga is the American taxpayer. It always is. Yeah, of course. It says, Proterra was not the only EV company that went under. Michigan-based Electric Last Mile declared bankruptcy in June of 2022. Ohio-based Lordstone Motors went bankrupt last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, these companies benefited from the Biden administration's climate handouts, but the economic consequences of the same policies eventually doomed them. Even large automobile companies' EV units are struggling. Ford estimates to lose $3 billion this year on yeah. its EV business. I've heard that. The company relies on sales of gas-powered vehicles and government subsidies to keep the EVs EV business afloat. Yep. So they also say that more bad news about EVs is coming. The Wall Street Journal reported that Americans seem to have fallen out of love with EVs because they are more expensive than gas-powered ones. After all, EVs cost more to make. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the travel range of EVs is limited, 
because a few charging stations exist around the country. Uh, companies from GM to Tesla are considering putting additional EV investments on hold due to weak consumer demand. The Wall Street Journal editorial board remarked, one lesson from Perteris failure is that government subsidies alone don't create business success. <laughs> of course not. So we've seen that before, and that's why I brought it up, because this article even says, you know, Biden should have known better. He was the vice president under Barack Obama mm-hmm. when Solyndra, the solar panel panel manufacturer that Obama claimed would be a sure winner in the solar industry Uh filed for bankruptcy less than two years after the Department of Energy provided Solyndra with a loan guarantee for $535 million. So it's just interesting. the, The thing that I love is, you know, there's always a line like this at the end of the story, and here there is. The last line in this article is, If any of these politicians made money from taxpayer-funded bets, they should surrender their profits to make the taxpayers whole. Well, Uh that's never going to happen. He details it right here. We know who's making the money off of this thing. They know. And they're just moving on up, you know, and getting nice, cushy appointments. (laughs) Failing upwards, as they say. Failing upwards. That's That's, exactly right. And it is. It's scandalous. We've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like this story, and I wanted to talk about it here because, you know, we make predictions on this show. And I think this whole EV yeah. craze was predictable. And if you would have said to me last year or, you know, whenever the Inflation Reduction Act was being touted, I might have even told you that some of these things are going to go belly up and right. bust and well, it's just another example of the whole Green New Deal idea doesn't work. At, you know, company after company who's, you know, trying to become profitable in pursuit of green energy keeps taking these government subsidies and they go belly up anyway. Well, you the know... The market's not there for it. The demand isn't there for it. To that's support why it. I love that line. It says... Uh, where was it? Well, I can't find the line now, but the line where it says, um, you know, that government subsidies alone right, yeah. can't make a, a business. Right, uh-huh. Well, <clears throat> I also like the line, and I know I've said it before, that you can't force EVs to be popular. You right. can't just force them on people. If there's not demand, it's supply and demand. Yeah. It's Adam Smith, the mm-hmm. wealth of nations. People should... Study that stuff, you know. Right. You can't force EVs to be popular, so. Nope, sure can't. I mean, eventually they will be. Just now is not quite the time. the The technology to make them really compatible, competitive with gas vehicles, isn't there yet. Yep. And it costs too much to get it there. It's like AOC. We need to invent technologies that don't exist yet. Yeah. Well, you can't just wave a magic wand. Right. You know? <laughs> Maybe you should let the industry come out with a model. Like the the electric Model T. Yeah. You know, that everybody will get on board with once they see, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. But you can't, I mean, look, when you create these things by government edict and you say, we're switching to all electric... This is exactly what happens. Just bankruptcy 
and failure. Right. I mean, right now, an electric vehicle can't compete with a car that can go 400 miles on a tank and refill in two minutes. Yeah. If that, I don't know, depending on how big your tank is, depending on how fast the gas pumps flow. Compared to an electric vehicle, that some of them can go 400 miles. I think the average is like half that, close to half that, 250. And it takes half hour or more to charge them up. It just, it, it's not convenient. I mean, in some cases it might be. People who drive in really urban areas that don't go very far, who can charge at home. That's, that's not too impractical. For most people who are traveling long distances, where fast charging is not available, they're just, they can't compete with the gas cars. Yeah. And they certainly aren't going to be able to compete just by pumping a bunch of money into them. A lot of money. Right. Well, yeah, that's uh, quite an interesting story. That's a good one. And we'll move on to my next one. It's quite an interesting story. I'll just start off by telling you about about the story that I have here. Uh, I'll just go through the little bit of notes I got. Jeffrey Holt, a resident of Hinsdale, New Hampshire, died in June at the age of 82. And in the town of Hinsdale, New Hampshire, it's a population of, rush- of roughly 4,000 people. He was the caretaker of a mobile home trailer park, which you and I are both familiar with those types of places. Oh, yeah. And he did very little to stand out in the town. He didn't have a car. Instead, he drove his lawnmower to the store. He reportedly didn't have any TV or no computer at home. But when he died, his will had pretty simple instructions. You ready for it? Sure. $3.8 million was to be left to the town of Hensdale, New Hampshire, to benefit uh, education, healthcare, recreation, and culture. And it wasn't until three months after his death in June, so in September, that the town had even learned about this fortune that this man had left. And I just heard this story this morning that we're recording, and I think it was sort of in the news earlier in the week just before Thanksgiving. And while I was having Thanksgiving, and no Thanksgiving is quite complete without the family political discussion, somebody at the table mentioned that millionaires and billionaires shouldn't exist. Oh, you just casually mentioned that at Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner. Well, they didn't just casually mention it. I mean, I'm certainly leaving out how... It got to that discussion, but this millionaires and billionaires shouldn't exist as a common talking point from the folks on the left, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, and communists. Uh, huh? I said, yeah, communists. Yes, and yeah. Well, I I had considered sort of coming on and, and talk about this as more of an economic perspective. But that doesn't concern these people, <laughs> I, I realized, because they're, they're coming at it 
from a moral argument. They just think morally that these people shouldn't exist. Well, I mean, not the people shouldn't exist, but they shouldn't have their millions and billions of dollars. Because there's a guy next door, or not even next door, there's a guy outside sleeping on the street. So it's not fair. Well, if millionaires and billionaires didn't exist, Mr. Jeffrey Holt here wouldn't be leaving $3.8 million to this town of 4,000 people. And certainly, had the government decided what to do with his $3.8 million, it wouldn't be going to the 4,000 people that live in Hinsdale, New Hampshire. It'd be going who knows where. So, I thought this story was a great example, particularly since this man lived an unassuming life. He lived in the trailer park that he cared for the lawn in. He had his trailer full of, like, model cars and model trains and records. And as I mentioned, reportedly, he didn't have a TV or a computer. And he drove his lawnmower around. And most people think of millionaires and billionaires being grubby business people who came upon their wealth by investors or inheritance, which is certainly true. Those people do come into money that way sometimes. But there's certainly a decent number of average people who have saved their own money through their own hard work to, you know, save up millions. Usually not billions, but... Well, I think this is absolutely fascinating, you know, and I could dwell on it. I'll mm-hmm. try not to, but, you know, I minored in philosophy. Right. And it's really interesting to me that you used the phrase, you know, morally. They're coming from a moral point of view mm-hmm. that they think millionaires shouldn't exist. It's not fair because there's a homeless man in the street. Right. Well, I understand that they do feel that way, but yeah. their their morals are off, right. off kilter, because nothing is fair. Right. This life is not fair. Exactly. You know, somebody's born poor and somebody's born rich, right. and <clears throat> there's nothing that anybody can do to change certain circumstances mm-hmm. where you're born or what household you're born into. It's not like there's a lottery system. At least we're not that we're aware of. (laughs) But also, yes, there's lots of good examples. I would like to say, too, that one of my favorite philosophers is Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. She writes a book called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go check out that book. It's an older one now, you know, unpassed. A long time ago, but she still has a foundation that that works, you know, on her behalf, getting Mm -hmm. information out and everything. And she presents the concept that capitalism is the only moral system in the world because it actually recognizes what a man, what his accomplishments, what his deeds, what his work is worth. Mm Right. And rewards him for that. Yeah. In any other system, you know, it would be we all make 50 cents on the hour. Right. Because that's communism. You'd standardize it. And that mm-hmm. would be, quote unquote, fair. 
Right. And it wouldn't matter if you produce one widget per hour or a hundred widgets per hour. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes that standard pay. Well, no. Under a capitalist system, under what you would call merit, a merit-based system, mm -hmm. no, people are rewarded for, you know, excess production, better work, quicker performance, etc. You you know what I mean? Right. So there's more of a strata for people to move up and be paid more, you know? Similarly, there's a strata where people are paid less if they're not performing, etc. Mm -hmm. So... That's truly moral. And I'll tell you another anecdote. Sure. This comes from a communist country like Russia or something. You know, one comrade says to another, he says, Comrade, let me ask you, you are communist, right? Yes, comrade, I'm communist. He'd say, so if you had two mansions, would you give me one? The other communist says, well, certainly, comrade, if I had two mansions, I'd give you one. Sure. How about if you had two cars, would you give me one? Well, sure, comrade, I'd give you one. Why do I need two cars? I'd give you one, sure. The first guy says to the other guy, he says, well, what if you had two chickens? The communist, the second communist says, now, wait a minute. He says, I do have two chickens. <laughs> I'm not, <I'm> not <laughs> going to give you one. Right. So it's interesting because when you start to mess with somebody else's money, mm -hmm. it right. doesn't matter if they agree with you. You know, we're both communists, right? right? Yeah. But you're not going to eat one of my two chickens. Right. You know, it's funny how people get. And, and you'll see that. I mean, uh, under the communist or socialist regimes, mm -hmm. you always see corruption. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that there's not room for corruption in a communist structure, because of, structure. there certainly is. huh? You say communist structure, do you mean say capitalist structure? Capitalist, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course there is. But you're going to see it more, because there's more force involved in a communist structure. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes force, the force of government to be able to reappropriate funds and goods and things like that. Right. Force is not good. You can't live under force. And, and it's still not going to be fair. Even if you have a government entity mm -hmm. stepping in to equalize everything across all, you know, various aspects of the economy, it's still not going to come out fairly. Right. So the idea that these liberals, you know, they live in this la-la land mm -hmm. where of course. everything's not fair. Well, no, everything's not fair. Yeah. Life's not fair. Get over it. Right. I'd take capitalism over communism any day. Right. <laughs> and none of these people, well, I shouldn't say none of these people, often these these leftists, they, they'll promote taxing the wealthy more, but they rarely promote real charity. You hardly ever hear them talk about real real charity, which is what this man here did. He gave his $3.8 million away to his town. Well, and there's another example. One of my favorites is Andrew Carnegie. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't think he really got his wealth in a wonderful way. Sure. And I think even he kind of felt a little guilty about how much money he was making. Yeah, that's why he ended up giving a bunch of it away. He gave tons of it away. You can look up the Carnegie libraries. I'm sure something rings a bell that I've brought these up before on this channel, but it's an amazing example of charity. 
of real charity, mm-hmm. you know, giving to a community, uh, allowing untold opportunities for people to educate themselves right. and to have access to a whole world of knowledge that mm-hmm. hadn't existed before. I mean, he put these libraries all over the place. Right. All you had to do was write to him and he'd give a grant to your town or city to create a, a, a Carnegie library. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you wouldn't have such kinds of acts if individuals weren't able to, to amass these fortunes and then dictate what's done. Right, because there'd be no incentive. If if the government's just going to come take half or more of what you've worked hard to earn, even if you didn't work hard on it, it's, it's yours. I mean, if it's a crime, it's a crime. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But if you worked and got your money above board and the government's going to take most of it away, what's the incentive to earn, even earn that much? There is or to do good deeds with what right. money you have. Right. So I, I thought this story here and after that little discussion at the Thanksgiving dinner table I had set a perfect example of why millionaires and billionaires should exist. Because they've done more for the poor than even I have or even the person who I was having this discussion with at the table. Well, you know, this just popped into my mind, mm-hmm. not to dwell on this, but it it's also interesting to me that it should come up at Thanksgiving time, such a discussion, right. because there's a story from way back in the, the New World when they had just come over, mm-hmm. like Jamestown, and at first they did try to run everything in like a, you know, everybody gets half an apple mm-hmm. and everybody gets you know, whatever, a cup of grain. Like communal. Communal. Mm -hmm. They tried to live communally, and it didn't work. Yeah. It failed miserably. People, the whole colony almost died. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's even a more recent example. There's, again, not to dwell, I'll probably just say this and we can get ready to move on, but during the 60s, there's this famous part of San Francisco called Haight-Ashbury. They tried to live kind of like a communal living. People just borrow and you know this guy's growing his vegetables he, you come over and pick a vegetable from him it didn't work out because people basically kept stealing from each other yeah that's how it is i mean when there's no incentive there's no reward for mm-hmm. hard work there's no incentive like right. you were talking about <clears throat> i mean these are things you can't just take for granted yeah. things don't just grow on trees manna does not just fall from the sky yeah you know, it's not like there's a free natural resource that we all have access to mm-hmm. so that we never go hungry, we never die, we right. never age. <clears throat> Life just isn't fair, and certain yep. people need to grow up. Yep. Yep. So that's all I have. I'll have a link to this story about Jeffrey Holt. Um, it's really a really good story. Hopefully people will look at it. Well... That takes me right along to my last thing, which I think is absolutely good news. This is an article put out talking about the effects that the overturn of Roe v. Wade has had. And this comes out of the New York Times, but it's based on some... And they're certainly rabid right-wingers. Oh, yeah, they are. (laughs) And it comes out of some work that some college students were doing. 
um, which I think will come up in the article. I don't remember what school they're from, so I hope it says it in here. But um, the New York Times reported that by comparing birth statistics in states before and after the Supreme Court banned abortions, researchers discovered that the law caused around 32,000 more annual births which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. The data is based on just the first six months of 2023 and was in line with initial expectations. The analysis carried out by the Institute of Labor Economics, there we go, that's who it is, claimed that in the first six months of the year, between one-fourth and one-fifth of women who live in states with bans who would otherwise have sought out an abortion did not get one. It, this is a quote. They say, Our primary analysis indicates that in the first six months of 2023, births rose by an average of 2.3% in states enforcing total abortion bans compared to a control group of states where abortion rights remained protected. Amounting to approximately 32,000 additional annual births resulting from abortion bans. Let's see. Now, of course... The researchers who are doing this, they're a little more left than you or I. Mm-hmm. They say that this represented the most profound transformation of the landscape of U.S. abortion access in 50 years. You know, because they're trying to come at this as a way of saying that it's not a good thing and it's basically like forced birth. Uh-huh. But. I don't think that's true. I mean, this doesn't say that these women had no alternatives. Right. <clears throat> they they were literally tied down and forced to have these. I don't think it's exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the student continued, and they say that as of November 1st, 14 states are enforcing bans on abortion in nearly all circumstances, and 23% of U.S. women of reproductive age have experienced an increase in driving distance to the nearest abortion facility from an average of 43 miles one way to 330 miles one way. Oh, my Lord. Heaven forbid they got to drive four hours to go dispose of a baby. Yes. Well, on... uh, Excuse me. One of the assistant professors at John Hopkins was on CNN... And they say that this rings an alarm bell about reproductive harmony in this country. You know, because basically, basically they think they want Roe back. Of course. You know, and th- I just find this interesting because we talked about this on one of our last episodes. Um, but there's a, a there's a quote in here that i absolutely love this is what just really brings it home for me is they're quoted as saying the fact that there is a signal at the population level means that something's really going on you know and they're making this statement because they want to see change on the mm-hmm. national level they want to go back to row right but i love this line because yeah the fact that there's a signal at the population level shows that something really good is going right. on. And we have 32,000 more births, you know, in this data. Um, so, I mean, that just is amazing to me. Yeah. And I just, 
am thankful for the Supreme Court. I'm mm-hmm. thankful for that overturn. I'm thankful for these new souls that have been brought into this world. Yeah. They're going to be the next Jeffrey Holt giving away their $3.8 million to their little town? Yes. I mean, it's just some good good news, in my opinion. Yeah. Sure uh, is. I mean, it's, hopefully the trend continues and it's it, we see even bigger increases. Because we certainly, I don't believe we're... That's going to, 32,000 a year is going to be enough to catch us up to the generational you know, birth rates that we need right. to keep up with our population, growth or decline, whatever. But yeah, it's, well, every little one counts. So we'll, we'll take all 32,000 of them lovingly. Well, and I just find it interesting, you know, how our culture is mm-hmm. too, because, you know, I... I sort of get the doom and gloom aspect that they, the left, has in their mind in mm-hmm. regards to these issues. Because I guess it's kind of scary. You say forced birth, you know, and mm-hmm. that's not a pleasant image. No, of course not. But if you look at what it actually is, in my opinion, is if you just take the convenience out of mm-hmm. abortion. It used to be you could go get an abortion on any given street corner. Mm-hmm. Well, you take away some of that availability so that it's not as convenient. You can't just walk a block and go dump an unwanted pregnancy. Right, yeah. You make it so that, okay, you want to get rid of this, you have to drive a little bit further. Drive Mm -hmm. to the next state over. Right. And suddenly it's like, oh, I don't have the time. I don't care that much. I guess Mm -hmm. I'll just have the baby. Yeah. Isn't that so... It's sad about our culture, but it also seems true. You mm-hmm. just take away the convenience, and suddenly it's more convenient to just have the thing. Yeah. How it's, sad is that? It is pretty sad. And these women, I'm sure, aren't psychologically scarred. I mean, they're just doing what's been natural to women from the dawn of time. Right? <laughs> of course. I mean, more often than not, you'll hear stories about people having psychological issues after they get an abortion rather than choosing to go through with the birth. So, I mean, I just think that's amazing. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not... This article written by these lefty people, Mm -hmm. I mean, this analysis written by these lefty people, this data that they've combed through, you know, I'm sure that they want to see much different numbers or they want to try to spin it Right. To say that it's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. But it just seems to me like the real insight that they've picked up on mm-hmm. is that there is a big change on the national level. You can see it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you take the convenience out of the abortion equation, mm-hmm. it's going to be pro-life all the way, all day, baby. Yeah. And I, right. I just love it. I think it's a great, great story. <clears throat> right. I mean, in these states where they have these bans, I mean, the the leftists could, you know, spend a little bit more time trying to mo- promote services to help with motherhood. But 
they they'd rather try to fight against the state government and the people to turn it back to being able to just perform the abortions, which is terrible. It is terrible, but at least there's some good news yeah, here. And exactly. Uh, hopefully, the trend will continue to go mm-hmm. this way. Right. Yep. Definitely. And is that all you got? That is all I got. I believe that's everything I have. And listeners, if you enjoyed this great conservative conversation, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify. Uh, You can also find us on YouTube. We upload the audio there. You can search on YouTube. I believe a quick way to do is at conservative conversations 92 that symbol and on your podcast platform just search conservative conversations we might be the second result because there's another show called conservative conversations isi don't know them it's the intercollegiate studies institute but uh, you should find us there and we hope you subscribe and share with your friends and as always we thank you for listening